0: Chapter 13 of Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Revolution and Counter-Revolution, or Germany in 1848, by Karl Marx. Chapter 13. The Prussian Assembly. The National Assembly. April seventeenth, eighteen fifty two. On the first of November, Vienna fell and on the ninth of the same month the dissolution of the constituent assembly in berlin showed how much this event had at once raised the spirit and the strength of the counter-revolutionary party all over germany the events of the summer of eighteen forty eight in prussia are soon told the constituent assembly or rather quote, the assembly elected for the purpose of agreeing upon a constitution with the crown end quote, and its majority of representatives of the middle-class interest had long since forfeited all public esteem by lending itself to all the intrigues of the court from fear of the more energetic elements of the population they had confirmed or rather restored the obnoxious privileges of feudalism and thus betrayed the liberty and the interests of the peasantry they had neither been able to draw up a constitution nor to amend in any way the general legislation. They had occupied themselves almost exclusively with nice theoretical distinctions, mere formalities, and questions of constitutional etiquette. The Assembly, in fact, was more a school of parliamentary savoir-vivre for its members than a body in which the people could take any interest. The majorities were, besides, very nicely balanced, and almost always decided by the wavering centres whose oscillations from right to left and vice versa upset first the ministry of camphausen then that of Auerswald and hansemann but while thus the liberals here as everywhere else let the occasion slip out of their hands the court reorganized its elements of strength among the nobility and the most uncultivated portion of the rural population as well as in the army and the bureaucracy after hansmann's downfall a ministry of bureaucrats and military officers all staunch reactionists was formed which however seemingly gave way to the demands of the parliament and the assembly acting upon the commodious principle of unquote, "measures not men" were actually duped into applauding this ministry while they of course had no eyes for the concentration and organization of counter-revolutionary forces which that same ministry carried on pretty openly at last the signal being given by the fall of vienna the king dismissed its ministers and replaced them by men of action under the leadership of the present premier then the dreaming assembly at once awoke to the danger it passed a vote of no confidence in the cabinet which was at once replied to by a decree removing the assembly from berlin where it might in case of a conflict count upon the support of the masses to brandenburg a petty provincial town dependent entirely upon the government the assembly however declared that it could not be adjourned removed or dissolved except with its own consent in the meantime general wrangel entered berlin at the head of some forty thousand troops in a meeting of the municipal magistrates and the officers of the national guard it was resolved not to offer any resistance and now after the assembly and its constituents the liberal bourgeoisie had allowed the combined reactionary party to occupy every important position and to wrest from their hands almost every means of defense began that grand comedy of passive and legal resistance which they intended to be a glorious imitation of the example of hampton and of the first efforts of the americans in the war of independence berlin was declared in a state of siege and berlin remained tranquil the national guard was dissolved by the government and its arms were delivered up with the greatest punctuality the assembly was hunted down during a fortnight from one place of meeting to another and everywhere dispersed by the military, and the members of the assembly begged of the citizens to remain tranquil. At last, the government having declared the assembly dissolved, it passed a resolution to declare the levying of taxes illegal, and then its members dispersed themselves over the country to organize the refusal of taxes. But they found that they had been woefully mistaken in the choice of their means. After a few agitated weeks, followed by severe measures of the government against the opposition every one gave up the idea of refusing the taxes in order to please a defunct assembly that had not even had the courage to defend itself whether it was in the beginning of november eighteen forty eight already too late to try armed resistance or whether a part of the army on finding serious opposition would have turned over to the side of the assembly and thus decided the matter in its favor is a question which may never be solved but in revolution as in war it is always necessary to show a strong front and he who attacks is in the advantage and in revolution as in war it is of the highest necessity to stake everything on the decisive moment whatever the odds may be there is not a single successful revolution in history that does not prove the truth of these axioms now for the prussian revolution the decisive moment had come in November 1848. The assembly, at the head, officially, of the whole revolutionary interest, did neither show a strong front, for it receded at every advance of the enemy, much less did it attack, for it chose even not to defend itself, and when the decisive moment came, when Wrangel, at the head of 40,000 men, knocked at the gates of Berlin, instead of finding as he and all his officers fully expected every street studded with barricades every window turned into a loophole he found the gates open and the streets obstructed only by peaceful berliner burghers enjoying the joke they had played upon him by delivering themselves up hands and feet tied unto the astonished soldiers it is true the assembly and the people if they had resisted might have been beaten berlin might have been bombarded and many hundreds might have been killed without preventing the ultimate victory of the royalist party but that was no reason why they should surrender their arms at once a well-contested defeat is a fact of as much revolutionary importance as an easily won victory the defeats of paris in june eighteen forty eight and of vienna in october certainly did far more in revolutionizing the minds of the people of these two cities than the victories of february and march the assembly and the people of berlin would probably have shared the fate of the two towns above named but they would have fallen gloriously and would have left behind themselves in the minds of the survivors a wish of revenge which in revolutionary times is one of the highest incentives to energetic and passionate action it is a matter of course that in every struggle he who takes up the gauntlet risks being beaten but is that a reason why he should confess himself beaten and submit to the yoke without drawing the sword in a revolution he who commands a decisive position and surrenders it instead of forcing the enemy to try his hands at an assault invariably deserves to be treated as a traitor the same decree of the king of prussia which dissolved the constituent assembly also proclaimed a new constitution founded upon the draft which had been made by a committee of that assembly but enlarging in some points the powers of the Crown, and rendering doubtful in others those of the Parliament. The Constitution established two chambers which were to meet soon for the purpose of confirming and revising it. We need hardly ask where the German National Assembly was during the legal and peaceful struggle of the Prussian Constitutionalists. It was as usual at Frankfurt, occupied with passing very tame resolutions against the proceedings of the prussian government and admiring the quote, imposing spectacle of the passive legal and unanimous resistance of a whole people against brutal force quote. the central government sent commissioners to berlin to intercede between the ministry and the assembly but they met the same fate as their predecessors at Olmütz and were politely shown out the left of the National Assembly, that is, the so-called radical party, sent also their commissioners, but after having duly convinced themselves of the utter helplessness of the Berlin Assembly and confessed their own equal helplessness, they returned to Frankfurt to report progress and to testify to the admirably peaceful conduct of the population of Berlin. Nay, nee, more! when herr Bassermann, one of the central government's commissioners reported that the late stringent measures of the prussian ministers were not without foundation inasmuch as there had of late been seen loitering about the streets of berlin sundry savage-looking characters such as always appear previous to anarchical movements and which ever since have been named bassermanic characters these worthy deputies of the left and energetic representatives of the revolutionary interest actually arose to make oath and testify that such was not the case thus within two months the total impotency of the frankfort assembly was signally proved there could be no more glaring proofs that this body was totally inadequate to its task nay that it had not even the remotest idea of what its task really was the fact that both in vienna and in berlin the fate of the revolution was settled that in both these capitals the most important and vital questions were disposed of without the existence of the frankfort assembly ever being taken the slightest notice of this fact alone is sufficient to establish that the body in question was a mere debating club composed of a set of dupes who allowed the governments to use them as parliamentary puppet shown to amuse the shopkeepers and petty tradesmen of petty states and petty towns as long as it was considered convenient to divert the attention of these parties. How long this was considered convenient we shall soon see. But it is a fact worthy of attention that among all the eminent men of this assembly there was not one who had the slightest apprehension of the part they were made to perform, and that even up to the present day ex-members of the Frankfurt Club have invariably organs of historical perception quite peculiar to themselves. LONDON, MARCH, 1852. END OF CHAPTER 13